So I have a, a message which I've entitled Worship, A Way of Being. But it's not going to be quite about worship in the way that you perhaps would expect me to be preaching on. Uh, because we often think of worship as songs and a time that we've just come through now. And indeed, that is a wonderful time. And, and I know when Milan does those times of soaking worship like we did last Sunday evening, um, you know, there's a place for that. And even last Sunday evening, I didn't want to come, but I knew I needed to. And I wasn't in a great place, but uh, I came along anyway. And through that evening, it was just a wonderful time. And when I left, uh, the last song was around not fearing. And uh, I left without fear when I had fear for something in the week. And it was just being in God's presence in worship uh, that took me to that place. And um, I don't know if you ever watch these police programs on TV when they have forensic investigations. They're quite popular nowadays. But the very basis of any of, of all that forensic policing is the fact that when you go somewhere, you leave something of yourself behind. So every single one of us, when we leave this building, are going to leave flakes of skin, hair, saliva, whatever it is, here in the building. And, and I always think of worship, and particularly a soaking worship, a bit like that. Because when we're in God's presence, he leaves a bit of him, or he imparts a bit of him on us. And so we need to put ourselves in the right place for his impartation into our lives. But the question which I really have and which uh, I've been pondering and, and grappling with over the last little while is this. Why is it that we lose the joy of our salvation? It's a term which we, you, you often hear about and people say, yeah, I got saved 20 whatever years ago like I did. And then you ask, well, you know, when somebody's newly saved, they're like excited and you think, oh, wow, look at this. And, but why is it that we as believers lose the joy of our salvation or even fall away at times? What is it that, that creates that or allows that to happen? And, and there are two things that I want to explore this morning. The one is that we don't have an understanding or we lose sight of who we are. And the second is that we don't have an understanding or we lose sight of who God is. And when those two come together, then it is a worshipful way of living. And that's what creates a sustenance in our being. So a few weeks ago, Alan read Galatians chapter 3, 1 to 3, which goes as follows. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? That's quite harsh. Now imagine if Paul were standing here instead of me, and he was speaking these words to us. Uh, sometimes I put myself into the scriptures and I kind of go, ooh, when I receive it. Now let's just receive this. Imagine if Paul is saying, you foolish Sereptans, or whatever we call ourselves. Um, who's bewitched you? I can almost imagine him getting quite frustrated about it. You foolish Sereptans. Who has bewitched you guys? Come on now. Don't you know it's about Christ crucified? That's what Alan preached about a few weeks ago. The all-sufficiency of Christ and his crucifixion. And you started with a spirit. Now, what are you doing? We're kind of heading off in our own steam. We're trying to do it in our own, own way. And I just think back in my own life and my own Christian life and how often that has happened with me. We start in the spirit. The spirit convicts us and leads us to Christ. The Spirit brings us in, in, into a place where through um, repentance we receive salvation. And then we like to just plan the rest of it ourselves. And we head off in our own way. And so we don't live in our salvation. 
We come to salvation through the Spirit, but then we don't live in our salvation through the Spirit, and we just go for it in our own way. A couple of years ago, I was teaching a grade 7 class, and um, sure, it's such a privilege to teach. Um, and in that class, I remember the one parent saying to me, oh, my, my daughter says you just pray all day. Um, <laughs> we, used to, we used to start the day off praying and stuff like that. I thought, well, that's okay. What she didn't know is that I did pray all day because when I walked around the class and I would stop and put my hand on the child's shoulder and look over there, they'd think I was watching their work, but actually I was saying, Lord, bless this boy, and I'd be praying for them in that way. But, but in that class, this one child came to me and said, Mr. Carroll, my mother has a question. And I'm thinking, oh, sure, but now what? Okay. She says, she, she wants to know what's the purpose of life? <laughs> And I kind of thought, the, the one thing that I thought was, well, this is great that the conversation is happening, happening at home. But I kind of thought, wow, all right, what's the purpose of life? And I said, Steph, um, I want to answer it in a, a short way. And, and the Westminster Confession, the shorter confession, says that we need to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Because if we glorify God, which is worshiping God, then we will enjoy Him forever. Because one, we will have salvation and we will be into eternity. And when you glorify God, then in fact you do enjoy Him forever. John Piper um, kind of turned it around and he, he says this, Man is most satisfied when God is most glorified. And as people, we, we, we naturally seek that satisfaction. And when God is most glorified in our lives, then we're most satisfied. And so the purpose of life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You see, the Father seeks worship. And we owe it to him above all else. The church and individuals worship the Father through the Son and with the help or enabling of the Holy Spirit. Sounds a bit like the perichoresis, doesn't it? Listen to that again. The church and individuals, that's us, we worship the Father through the Son, through salvation, through Christ, and with the help and enabling of the Holy Spirit. And so there's that dance of the, of the Trinity where we get pulled into it as we worship God together. But sometimes people get quite angry with that, and, and I've questioned it at times in my own life, and I've heard people say things like this, and maybe you've heard them say that too. Well, why should we worship God? I mean, who's he to think that and just expect that we should worship him? I mean, he's some kind of like tyrant in the sky who says, worship me. Like, what's that about? And I, even this past week, I heard somebody um, saying something along the same lines. Where Revelation 4.11 says the following, you are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And then Romans 11, it's a letter of Paul, and as Paul often does in his letters, he starts off by doing theory, and then somewhere in the letter he sort of switches over to a practical, okay, and now. And so this comes at the end of that theory part, and he's been teaching and about a whole lot of stuff, and in chapter 11, the doxology as it's known, it's almost like he can't, can't contain himself anymore. And he's, he gets to the point of saying, who can give you any advice? And he goes on and then he says the following, for from you and through you and to you are all things. And then it rolls into chapter 12 of Romans and verse 1 and it says, therefore, and in my theological training I was always taught, when you see a therefore, you ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And it says, therefore, after all of that, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And it talks about that as being our worship. And the word in the Greek there is leitachia, which means service. It's a, a worship of service to God. So, who are we? 
Moses started writing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and he, he started in, in Genesis, as we know. And he started with these words. In the beginning, God created, just like we read. But then there's a section in chapter 2 and 7, which I sometimes go back to and I just wonder about. Because it comes to the point where, where God created human beings. And unlike the animals which he spoke into being, he took the earth and he fashioned us. And then he did something amazing. He breathed his life into us. And he breathed his ruach, his spirit. And the Bible says we then became a living soul or nefesh, as it says in the Hebrew. And so at that point, God breathed his ruach into our humanity and made us a living soul or nefesh. And I like to see it as almost like his spirit gift to us. God breathed and gave us his spirit gift, which no animals have. Sounds new age and all weird, but that's his gift. And that allows us to be able to connect to him. Because God said, no, these people I want to create in my image. I want to create them like like us so that we can have this perichoresis, so that we can dance together. And in order for that to be, I need to breathe something special into them. And he gave us a spirit gift so that we can do that. So why should we worship God? It's because God created all things, and he's worthy of all glory and honor. Secular humanism, at its very heart, the aim of it is to take God out. That's, that's what they do. They want to say, no, God, goodbye. All right, now we got what's left. But then there's a problem to try and explain things. But J.R. Packer wrote this about humanism. He said, humanism sets human beings at the center of the universe, maintaining that nature of which man is the most highly developed component is all that exists. That happiness and enrichment of human life now is all that we should aim at. That scientific reason is the only tool needed for the task. And that religion hinders the enterprise rather than helps it. That's the basis of humanism and the world in which we live. Take God out. Put human beings in the center. Science is all that matters. Religion actually hinders the progress of science. At the previous school where I was head at before Highbury, um, we, well, they still do, take their grade six class on a tour every year. It's a wonderful tour. Go up the coast to Mossel Bay, visit the Dyer's Carousel, Caravel, not Carousel, Caravel Museum, head into Otsuren, to Beaufort West, to the Karoo National Park, and then we go across to Sutherland, the SALT telescope, the Southern uh, African Large Telescope, which is the largest refracting telescope in the Southern Hemisphere. And it's a beautiful trip with, with the children, uh, which ends up in this amazing place. And each year, the tour ends with a photograph in the foyer, and the guide stops and says, and it's a big blown-up photograph, and it's full of light and stars and, and uh, just planets and galaxies and all sorts in there. And she says the following. That actually was when the Hubble telescope was turned to a black spot in the sky. And you may have seen this picture. So in between the stars, like we see in the night, there was nothing. There was a black spot. And the Hubble was aimed at that and left there for a long time, and the lens was opened. And for a long time, it just stayed there to allow light to enter it. And that's what we see. Wow. <laughs> and you kind of look at it and go, wow. And then you think that spot there and that could be a whole galaxy. It's not just a star. But then she went on to say the following each year. She says, Carl Sagan, who we know is a cosmologist and, and uh, did his whole thing, used to say, is there life out there? Are there little aliens or whatever living out there? 
And he looked at that and Carl Sagan would say, if we're all it is, then it's such a waste of space. Man, and I had to every year say to my children, but actually, if we put ourselves in the center of the universe and think that we're the important thing, then yeah, that's a big waste of space. But if we look out into that space and say, God, that's a reflection of your glory and majesty and power. Wow, well then it's just right, isn't it? Then, then we look at it in a different perspective. And then we can only end up by coming on our knees and saying, God, you're amazing. And you see, what humanists haven't grasped is that it's only when the spirit gift, which I've spoken about, which God gave us, it's only when that spirit gift connects with the giver, then our life comes alive. You see, then we can truly live. Then we, it's not science which is going to ignite that. It's connecting that spirit gift, that ruach, which God has put in us, which connects back to him. Then we come alive. And then we can truly be who we are. So why do we lose the joy of our salvation? I believe it's because we don't know how to live connected to the source of our salvation. And that we don't recognize the power of God, who he is in our lives. And if we did that, and if we lived out our salvation, as the Bible said, as an ongoing journey of being connected with that source, then we will be in a state of wonderment and awe day by day as we go through life. But now, that's who we are. Bearers of God's gift, spirit gift, separated from him because of our sin. But he has made a way for us to come back into connection with him. But there's a second in the beginning in the Bible. And that one comes at the beginning of uh, the Gospel of John. Now, there are four Gospels, as you know. The first three are known as the synoptics because they are very similar and they see together. And then there's the, the Gospel of John. And they're all biographies or about Jesus and what he did and, and what he said. And the first one written is commonly agreed is the, is the gospel of Mark. And when Mark started writing about Jesus, he began with Jesus' earthly ministry. So if you open the book of Mark and you look there, it starts with, okay, Jesus comes into his ministry, he's 30 years old. The second book, people agree, is Matthew, which is written. And Matthew was writing his for the Jews to read. And so Matthew goes a bit further back, and he starts the life of Jesus uh, with his, his lineage, his genealogy, his conception in his birth. And guess what? He comes from Father Abraham, the father of the Jews. And so all the Jewish people can connect with Jesus and go, yeah, Jesus is for us also. The third gospel which was written was Luke. And Dr. Luke, he went further back. And Luke wrote for all people. And so he didn't start with Jesus's lineage to Judaism and Father Abram, but he goes back to Adam, and he says Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is for all mankind, and so he goes further back, but then John decides to go even further back, and so John goes back to in the beginning, and he goes back to in the beginning, like when creation and before creation even, because you see, Jesus is eternal. He didn't start with Adam. He didn't start with uh, Abraham and his lineage, because Jesus has always existed. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the, the Son of God. And so John goes back. But have you ever thought to yourself, what did we call Jesus before he was incarnated? Because when he came to the earth, he's Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And that's the name which we think of. But who is Jesus before? In the beginning, who is Jesus? 
Well, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John writes the following. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. And the Logos, or Word, was with God. And the Logos, or Word, was God. The Logos. But why that Word? Why did John take a word, a Greek word translated as Word, to say this is Jesus, who is the eternal Jesus? Well, What's so wonderful about the Bible and about God is he takes words which we understand and actions which we understand, and he uses them to enlighten us. And John was writing in the, in the city of Ephesus, and 600 years before John wrote this, there was a man by the name of Heraclitus, and he is commonly known, if you study physics and science, he's commonly recognized as the father of science. And so Heraclitus, living 600 years in that town, came up with a word... Logos. Because he looked around him and he said, you know what, look at all of this. There must be an explanation to why this is. And so he started planning and, and trying to organize things to try and get some sense of, of order in, in the patterns. And he was looking for the reason why or the purpose behind what took place. That was his goal. What's the reason why? What's the purpose behind all of this? And so they started looking at things like bios, life. What's the reason behind that or the purpose? They looked at meteor or the weather. What's the purpose behind that? And so we get the logos attached to that. And so we get biology, bios logos, biology. We get meteorology, geology, psychology, sociology, etc., etc. And And every branch of science is looking for the logos or the meaning behind it, the reason for it. And so John steps in and says, by the way, in the beginning was the logos. And he was God. And so the meaning, the reason behind all of this, the ultimate reason why everything happened is Jesus, the Logos, the eternal Jesus. And so John comes in under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, wham, there we go. Now, I happened to be watching last night a, a movie on Stephen Hawking. I don't know if you've seen that. I think it's called The Theory Behind Everything or something. It's a, a, a bit of a, a biographical look in his life. And Stephen Hawking, amazing mind, uh, but a man who, t who has taken God and said, no, God, he Im imposes himself on science, so we can't have him in the equation. We've got to look from a scientific point of view. And he is on the quest for an equation to explain everything. That's the quest he's on. And he hasn't found that equation to explain everything. But if he just listened to John, he'd find the equation to explain everything because Jesus is the Logos, so that's the reason behind everything. But, and? Absolutely, because his wife is a believer who questioned him on that. Um, but there was a question in that movie too where he was addressing a whole lot of people in a scientific community. And one person stood up and said, Stephen, you've mentioned that you don't believe in God. What is your philosophy or what is your sort of reason behind life or, or purpose in life? And he went on along, wada, 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 this and that and all the rest about how amazing we are. And then he said this at the end. As long as life, or as long as we have life, we have hope. And everybody cheered and clapped and went ballistic around. God stood up. And I thought, Boyki. Where does life come from? As long as we have life, we have hope. So he is saying, as human beings, he's recognizing our, our potential that God has put in us. And he's saying, as long as we have life, we have hope because we can search for it. But all he needs to do is step back 
and embrace the Logos. Because we cannot create life. In chapel at, at school, I, I, I gave a talk to the boys a bit about what is our value and what is our worth. And you might have um, heard people talk about this body that we're in. What's the value of it? So we have calcium and magnesium and water and carbon and oxygen. And if we were to break it all down and lay it out on the table, it's a couple of hundred bucks worth or a couple of thousand. That's the value of the material. But what's the worth? You see, the worth is life. The worth comes from God. That's the ruach. That's the spirit gift. That's the life. And no scientist, no person can unpack the mystery of life. They can take different organs from people and put together a lovely body and, and attach the veins and pump some blood in, but they cannot go over and switch on the plug and go, ching, life. Because that's God's gift to us. Just last week, I read this. I don't know if you've seen this, but in April 2016, this year in April, the Telegraph in the UK under the science editor had an amazing article and it said the following, and I quote, Human life begins with a bright flash of light as a sperm meets an egg. Scientists have looked in with all their fancy equipment, and they've seen when the egg and the ovum touch, bang, there's a flash of light. And it's been called fireworks in their words. <laughs> that's their words. That's not mine. And when I saw that, I just thought, God, that's amazing. You see, what scientists then start doing is they go, okay, we can trace this, and when we're doing artificial insemination and all the things that scientists do, if there's a bright flash, then we know there's strong life. Let's take that one. But isn't that amazing? When life starts, there's a flash. Because God, the Logos, creates that life in us. Who are we? We are God's special creation. He has breathed in us His spirit gift. And he calls on us to recognize who he is and to connect with him every single day. So why do we worship God? Because he's the reason why. God is so great and so big that we can't comprehend. We just get a glimpse of that. I shared a few couple of months back during worship, one of my favorite parts in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from C.S. Lewis. And I thought about it again when I was preparing this, where... The children, and I forget who they were, were walking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they see Aslan the lion, the lion of Judah, that powerful, awesome lion. And being children and seeing this lion, they are, they are overcome with fear, as I guess we all would if we see him. And he's wandering, he's like moving around, and they look at him, and then they say to Mr. Beaver, but is he safe? You know, well, hang on, are we okay here? Is he safe? And then Mr. Beaver says the following. He said, don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God is not safe. God is the creator of everything. God is the God who at conception, bang, we have fireworks. Wow. That's our God. But he's good. And he's the king. So worship is not part of our life. It is our life. We're told to praise him from sunrise to sunset in Psalm 113 verse 3. In Colossians 2, 23, it says, Do everything, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. That's worshiping God. 
We're told to offer our, body, our bodies as living sacrifices to him. Martin Luther once said that to know God is to worship him. Notice to know him. If we know him, then we worship him because there we have no other choice. So worship isn't one, an optional extra which is tagged on. It's not something which is for the godly who kind of want to do it. But rather it's something which is programmed in the very fiber of who we are when we respond to who God is. Gilbert Bilazikian, one of my favorite theologians, says that the acknowledgement and the celebration of the centrality of God in all areas of life, that's what worship is. It's the acknowledgement and the celebration of the centrality of God in all areas of life. Now notice I haven't spoken about our corporate worship and our singing together uh, with songs, and it does include that. But I'm lifting this way above. I'm lifting that beyond our corporate experience. But when we do come together in corporateness, like this morning, God doesn't remain silent. When he's addressed, he eagerly enters into a dialogue with us. Have you not noticed that? What a joyful thing that this God, the Logos, who created all, he steps in and he tells us that he loves us above all else. That's what God is saying to us this morning. I love you above all else. I love you so much. That out of my love, out of our love as a Godhead, we shared the Ruach. Gave you that spirit gift, willing and able to connect back with me. But not only that, I loved you so much that I became incarnated and stepped down from being the Logos for a time to being Jesus Christ, the anointed one, who people trace back to a human lineage. I was crucified, broken, but I rose again so that we can come into union once again. And our response is, God, I want to live for you, worship you. See, worship also when we come together, and it's a celebration of the centrality of the church and God's purposes too. So as we worship together, it's not just me and God, it's me and God and us. Because the church is God's plan, and he died for the church, not for each individual, although he loves each one of us. And so God entered into time and space, which he created. He came in like a lover seeking his beloved. God embraced us as he was crucified and became the ultimate and the very last never-to-be-repeated sacrifice. The curtain of the curse was torn. And in Ephesians 1.3, we're told that we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Brothers and sisters, that's where we stand And my heart this morning, and I believe what God is wanting to say to us this morning, is why do we find it difficult at times? Why do people fall away? Why do we not have the joy of the salvation within us? It's because we're not walking in the salvation. And we need to once again turn to go, God, the Logos, let my spirit connect with you and let us walk every single day in worship of you. But here's the thing. It's only once we've responded to Christ's sacrifice that this can become a reality. Yes, he has breathed into humankind the ability to respond to him. And humankind has that ache, which is what Stephen Hawking and other scientists are doing. They're aching to try and find out the reason behind. But it's only when we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for your salvation. I repent. I empty myself. I come in faith to the foot of the cross I ask for your forgiveness, salvation. It's at that point 
that we can walk in what God has for us. And then that's not the end. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of our salvation, of our walk with him in sanctification as he takes us from glory to glory until one day we're going to be in his presence singing for all eternity. Wow. (laughs) I love that. I can't wait. Sure. So I guess there's two things that, that I feel God wants us to respond to this morning. Let's stand as we do that. And let's just quieten our hearts and hear the message which he has been speaking through me. Maybe close your eyes even as you, as we sort of enter into his awesome presence as the Logos, the reason behind all. I think there may be some people this morning, and, and we need to start with this, who are perhaps sitting here going, wow, you know what? I don't think I've ever connected to my source. Maybe my spirit gift has never connected to the giver of that gift. I've never come in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. I haven't received the salvation, so I can't, be, I can't understand what this message is about, about worship. And if you're in that place, then, then today you need to respond because God's calling you to respond. And as people are just have their eyes closed, what if, if you're in that place, just raise your hand and, and we want to pray for you. And if there's anybody like in that place who's going, God, I don't, I don't know. And if God is tugging in your heart and you don't know what that is, open up to him and respond because it's only when you come to him in salvation that you can be in that place. Right, I don't see anybody indicating now, but if you're in that place, that's okay. You can, you can still respond to God. But then to the rest of us, God is saying, open your heart. Here I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Logos. I am it. I'm the reason why. So just where you are, open your heart to God, and if you are sensing a sense of dryness, or if you are maybe questioning, God wants to say to you, I love you more than anything else. I love you more than anything else. And as a lover, I step down into my creation to come and seek you. And so let's open our hearts to him and say, Father, thank you. Father, thank you that you are so awesome. You are almighty God. You are creator God. You are the logos, the reason behind all. Thank you that we can connect to you. And Father, we open our hearts to you this morning that your spirit might move in this place and where people might be having doubts or where people might be feeling dry. Father God, I pray that you'll reignite our passion for you, reignite our vision of who we are, reignite our vision of who you are. And when that comes together, that we will be able to walk in worship with you and wonder of who you are. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are here with us right this morning and that as we leave, you go with us too in every single activity that we enter into this week. Thank you, Father. We're just going to sing a song and as we sing this song, continue in that place and if you're reaching out to God, call out to Him. And after the the song, if you are wanting some prayer or if you're in a place where you want ministry, please come forward even during the song if if you feel that's right. Don't wait, just come forward and and let's worship together and minister from God.